2: hello and welcome back to attaboy clarence hope you've all had a lovely week got a wonderful trio of movies to tell you about later mystery drama with merle oberon and claude rain dastardly mind games with Cary Grant, Kay Francis and Carol Lombard and Betty Davis and Paul Henreid are suffering on the high seas we'll be guessing a mystery golden age stars identity in who the hell is that Hollywood legend radio entertainment from Lux and a whole gang of fabulous stars and I've got an exciting event to tell you about in a minute but first let's turn those frowns upside down shall we with Gene Kelly
3: Singing in the Rain I'm singing in the rain Just singing in the rain What a glorious feeling I'm happy again I'm laughing at clouds So dark up above The sun's in my heart And I'm ready for love let the stormy clouds chase Everyone from the place Come on with the rain I have a smile on my face i walk down the lane With a happy refrain Just singing, singing in the rain then in the rain yeah.
0: I'm happy again
2: Gene Kelly with Singing in the Rain. Hey, this weekend's film club is a pretty special one. We're watching a double bill of Val Luton horror movies. You can go on over to the Patreon page now and vote, and the top two will be shown as a double bill on Sunday, September the 6th, starting at 1900 hours BST. The current frontrunners are very surprising. As we speak, The Ghost Ship and Isle of the Dead are out in front, with cat people just edging its way back up there very tight race and very surprising to see the ghost ship doing so well wonderful surprise i was rooting for the leopard man but that seems to be languishing in last place still the vote closes on friday the 7th so you have time to get on over there and make a difference go to www.patreon.com slash or follow the link in the show notes and you'll see the voting post there i have an announcement to make by the way Yes, yes, thank you. After the soaring success of the film festival back in April, I've decided to run another one in October. It's on the 24th and 25th of October from midday onwards. Two days of specially programmed classic movie goings-on with a wonderful selection of treats for you all to enjoy. Lineup's coming soon, but for now, mark it in your diaries. The last festival was wonderful. Over 800 people showed up and spent the whole weekend hanging out and watching some of the greatest movies of all time. Saturday is open to all, so come on in. Sunday will be patrons only, with a slightly more specialist selection of programming, including... Yes, let's get this one out there now. Sunday, you will be able to watch...
4: Hentonbury one six, The Brighton Strandler...
2: The Brighton Strangler with me. It's there. It's happening. So mark it in your calendars now, the 24th and 25th of October, the second Atta Boy Clarence Film Festival. All the movies are provided. You just need to click the link and you're in. More details coming soon. Off to the races right now as we saddle up for another guessing game. Yes, you know what's coming. Prick up those ears of yours. Listen out for the clues, which are very unusual this time, as we play another round of Who the Hell Is That Hollywood Legend Go?
5: All right. All right, panel, as you know, once again, we revert to one question at a time, in turn moving clockwise, and we will begin things with uh, Arlene Francis.
1: Are you appearing on the Broadway scene? Mm-mm.
5: <laughs> That's one down and nine to go, Mr. Randall. I had the feeling that two people started to answer. Is that so? Nope. That is a no. That click means no. That's that two down and eight to go. Or what is
6: that John,
5: or Beg pardon. What did you say, Bennett? That clicking noise. What did you say? Is that what? So is your teeth clicking. Why? <laughs> <laughs> A fathead. Well, <laughs> now that clicking noise means no for the moment, and oh. a bell ringing will mean yes oh. for the moment. Sue?
7: So as to not be able to determine sex, I gather. One is not a bird. Oh, a well,
5: you've had one answer a with a voice.
7: There, there, one is a girl. Is, is it more than two?
5: Is it more than two? Oh, oh I
7: thought. Oh, I see. You I mean the bell and, and the click? I got a no for yeah. saying,
5: are there two people there? Oh,
7: I, I'm so sorry. Um. Is It's uh, it's movies
5: that you specialize in. That's that's, uh, yes and no, but, you know, that's one of the big areas of activity. Mr. Sir? Is your voice so very, very well known that we would recognize it immediately if
3: you used it? (laughs) (laughs) That's
5: yes, Miss Francis.
1: Well, are you in a picture that is soon to open in New York?
5: Three down, is seven no? to go, Mr. Randall. That's a note. That's a no. Are you equally well-known as a television performer? I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Miss Oakland?
7: Do you sing and dance?
5: <laughs> Mr. Sir? Uh, You both sing and dance. Have you been around for quite a while? You mean in the New York area?
1: <laughs>
5: That's a yes, Miss Francis.
1: Well, are you a... a do you appear in nightclubs?
5: Mr. Yes. Randall? sing, you dance, you're funny. You've been around a long while.
7: <laughs> and I'll sweep up the stage.
8: Uh,
5: <laughs> Senator Dirksen? <laughs> I have to give you a no. <laughs> I'm sorry I have to give you a Miss Oakland. Now,
7: I just want to recapitulate. Did we rule out that this person, I assume is a lady, is not appearing on the Broadway stage now?
5: We agreed that, that no, um, our not. guest was not on the, appearing on the Broadway stage right now. That's right.
7: I see. Um, when you were on television, did you have a, a series? I mean, one a, one a week kind of thing.
5: Yes. Yeah. Mr. Sir? That voice can
2: belong to only one lady in the world, and that is... Have you got a clue? Difficult this time, I grant you, but you do have all the information you require, trust me. The answer is coming up later. Movie time then. We're back in Claude Rain's melodrama territory this time with 1945's This Love of Hours, starring Claude alongside Merle Oberon. And Charles Corvin, directed by William Dieterly. He of the Devil and Daniel Webster, far less stylized this time. but equally well told we start off at a medical convention. Celebrate good times, come on. Party. Celebrate. One of the researchers there, Michael Chuzak, played by Corvin, decides to go on a crazy night out with his researcher buddies. Hey, Yes, they're going to let off some serious
4: steam.
2: Let it all hang out as they go to a bar to watch a caricaturist.
3: I hope you won't take offence, madame, if I put in a line or two. Just as years have put them into your face. It's the lines that give people character, you know. How about some music, Florence? That's why so many pretty girls have no character in their faces. Why we love the painting of Whistler's mother. Because we see in it the signature of the years, the cares and sorrow. Claude
2: plays, said caricaturist, Targell, whose assistant is the mysterious Florence, played by Merle Oberon. But when Florence sees Michelle, she flees the bar and attempts suicide.
8: But why? Florence trying to commit suicide.
2: Through a series of flashbacks, we learn the truth. Florence is, in fact, Michelle's wife, Karen. But he left her many years ago due to some mysterious reason. All the pieces are in play, then. We know that Karen did something terrible all those years ago. We know that Targail was somehow involved. And we know that Michelle is justified in feeling such resentment. Or do we? Because the more we learn, the more we come to realise that maybe... Things aren't as clear as we
3: thought. You know, the woman you call Florence is my wife. Yes. I assume she's made up her mind about what she wants to do. As far as I'm concerned, it's entirely her own business. I think I have something to say about that, too. You'll be wasting your time.
2: First thing to say here is that depending on your place in the world, this film will affect you in all kinds of ways. It began as this very standard kind of melodrama. With one of those clearly stated mysteries, and I must admit checking my watch a few times, get on with it, I said. Reveal your secrets so that we can all go about our lives. The genius stroke is that it withholds its secrets until they can be unleashed for their full dramatic effects. The people that you're led to suppose are the baddies are not so bad as you might think. The story, when it all comes to light, reveals that the tragedy at the story's heart belongs not to Michelle, but absolutely to Karen. It also has an ending that had me weeping like a baby. Seriously strong stuff. Devastatingly well-told story. I really enjoyed this film. I didn't think I was, and as I say, by the one-third mark, I was getting a bit impatient with it... But do give yourself over to it. Reigns and Oberon are just sensational in this magnificent. Reigns' part in the film's climax is a masterclass in how to wring several different emotions out of a single selfless act. It's superb stuff from him. Do check out 1945's This Love of Hours. Really surprising, very affecting, far more deserving of your praise and time than you might think when it begins. Thrills of a very different kind in 1939's In Name Only, starring Cary Grant, Carol Lombard, Kay Francis, Charles Coburn, and Helen Vincent. What a cast, but is it any good? And if so, why haven't you heard of it until now?
8: You won't catch anything that way.
1: Well, I might.
2: Not
8: any fish.
1: I'm not trying to catch any fish. Oh. Just doing this for the exercise. Test for keeping my temper.
8: Well, it's lucky you weren't trying to catch any fish.
1: Oh yes, why?
8: Because, uh, I hate to tell you this, but uh, there haven't been any fish in this stream for 20 years.
1: Well, why didn't you tell me that in the first place?
8: I didn't want to stop you, I like watching it.
1: You know, there's something about men, I don't
2: know. Grant plays Alec Walker, a rich young man in a loveless marriage to Maida, played by Kay Francis. For years, they've been pretending at happiness so as to save his family's reputation. Alec has become a zombie, sorts floating aimlessly throughout his days with little to inspire or excite him maida on the other hand is loving her role as dutiful wife even if it leaves her romantic life unfulfilled even when we're alone you can do it do what dear make it look
8: as if i'd beaten you and make me feel i want to
1: you won't have time to change we're dining early i'm going out for dinner
8: yes.
1: for alec your father and mother and ned
8: one scene's enough isn't it why should there be more They might even find out the truth about us. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you?
1: They wouldn't believe
8: it, dear. Yes, you've seen to that, haven't you?
2: All sails on numbly until Alec meets and falls in love with artist Julie Eden, played by Carol Lombard. Miss Eden.
8: How do you know about Miss Eden?
1: Does that matter?
8: All right, I've seen Miss Eden exactly twice. Yesterday afternoon...
1: Oh, so you've seen her before last night? Last night? The sketchbook was in your car. It was all pretty obvious.
8: Did you talk to her?
1: Of course
8: not. You probably didn't have to. Excuse me, will you, Maida? I've got to go out.
1: To see Miss Eden?
8: To see Miss Eden.
2: Yes, for the first time, Alec has fallen properly in love and decides to quit his marriage so that he and Julie can be together. But as it turns out, Maida is not a fan of this plan. She likes being rich very much and decides to use every psychological trick up her sleeve in order to keep her position.
1: Alec, dear, she's been lying to you all along. I know. You didn't really think I'd let you go, did you?
2: I'm leaving for
8: Reno tomorrow.
1: The moment you file a suit for divorce against me, I shall file a countersuit against you. I don't know or care what you'll base your suit on, but I shall base mine on infidelity. It won't be any vague other woman it be one woman in particular, by name. You understand, I think. I'm warning you, Miss Eden. Alec isn't the only one I'll sue. I'll sue you also for alienation of affections. You have a little girl, haven't you? How old is she, six, seven? Well, you might as well begin to teach her now how to behave on a witness stand, because she'll be there.
2: Dark stuff, really, and not the sort of thing you get to see Grant doing until he reached his partnership with Hitchcock a couple of years later. What you essentially have here is gaslight, but the other way around. Maida is the one gaslighting Alex's family into thinking he's some kind of monster, so that they'll compel him to stay with her. And so it becomes up to Julie to rescue her man and to find some way of convincing Alex's family that Maida is the evil one. It's definitely a fascinating setup, although I'm not sure that it's that well executed. I found it to be very interesting, but not that exciting to watch. Unfortunately, the players are all great, but they're very much playing against type. Grant is borderline depressed for the whole thing, which is an odd thing to see. Lombard seems to frown and growl her way through. And Kay Francis, as an evil, heartless manipulator, is so out of sorts with all those delightful pre codes we know her for. I mean, all respect to them for doing something different. And it's certainly not a bad film, but I'm not sure it's one you'll find yourself reaching for again once you've seen it. It's very forgettable. I did like the ending, even though it was a bit convenient. And let's face it, you'd watch Grant, Lombard, and Francis in anything. What a team! but this is definitely mid-tier stuff for all three of them. Check it out, it's a really curious film. 1939's In Name Only. Interesting, but instantly forgettable. You just can't escape Claude Rains this week. He pops up in the final of today's films, a true classic that the old Hollywood lovers among you have likely seen already, but it's Definitely worth wheeling out now Voyager for another airing, if only to spend some time with that sumptuous cast. Betty Davis, Paul Henreid, Claude Rains, Gladys Cooper, Bernita Granville, John the Brighton Strangler Loader, and many, many others. Set sail then! a voyage of self-discovery and a neat line in lighting two cigarettes at once in 1942's Now Voyager.
7: The last member of your profession I consulted warned me my heart would be the finish of me. The fact that I've lived him for 15 years has not
1: increased my meagre trust of the pack of you.
3: A highly sensible reaction.
1: Well, darling, please try to relax your grim disapproval where this doctor is concerned. Really, you know, we're honored by the visit of the foremost psychiatrist of the whole country. And I might add, I think it was pretty sweet of him to come all the way from New York to Boston. Generally, he doesn't come to see people, they go to see him.
3: It wouldn't hurt if you also added that that's from lack of time, not from
1: vanity. Oh, and Mother, before I forget it, please don't call him Dr. Jackwith in front of Charlotte. That's his name, isn't it? Well, yes, but forget the doctor, make it Mr. Charlotte will shut up like a clam if she suspects we have trapped her into an examination.
2: The story here is of Charlotte Vale, played by Davis, who spent her life being made to feel unwanted by her ghoul of a mother, played by Gladys Cooper.
7: Charlotte was a late child. There were three boys, and after a long time, this girl. A child of my old age, I've always called her. I was well into my forties, and her father passed on soon after she was born. My ugly duckling. Of course, it's true that all late children are marked.
3: Often such children aren't wanted. That can mark them.
7: I've kept her close by me always. When she was young, foolish, I made decisions for her. Always the right decisions. One would think a child would wish to repay a mother's love and kindness.
2: When Charlotte shows signs of an impending breakdown, she's sent off to a sanitarium being run by the kind Dr. Jackwith by Claude Rains, who sees a desperate human being hidden behind the eyes and determines to free her from her internal
3: prison.
7: Well, it's as I said, isn't it? Just nonsense.
3: She is most seriously ill. Charlotte is. Thanks to you.
7: Did you say? My
3: dear Mrs. Vale, if you had deliberately and maliciously planned to destroy your daughter's life, you couldn't have done it more completely.
7: How? By having exercised a mother's rights?
3: I a mean, mother's rights, twaddle. A child has rights, a person has rights discover her own mistakes, to make her own way, to grow and blossom in her own particular soil.
2: As part of her cure, Charlotte is told to take a cruise where she meets and falls for unhappily married Jerry Durrance, played by Paul Henreid, whose daughter Tina seems to be suffering beneath a domineering mother of her own. Charlotte suddenly finds herself with a new mission in life. On the surface, you think of now Voyager as being this slightly over-stylized romance with literary dialogue and high glam settings on the seas. It's become more famous, of course, for its cigarette gimmick. There's this sense of repressed lust between Henry and Davis that runs throughout the film, and they always seem to relieve it by sharing a cigarette. So Henry lights both of them in his mouth, and he passes one to Davis And when they take their first draw on it and then exhale, it's almost like you've just seen them kissing. It's a very neat trick, and it's rightly remembered as a symbol of repressed lust. But it's crazy how it's become such a cultural touchstone. Opulent romance isn't something you necessarily think of when you consider the Warner catalogue. They were known for being much more earthy, and gritty, and pumped out a metric ton of B-movies with A-list stars in them. However, they really threw everything at Now Voyager. You have swirling music by Max Steiner, costumes by Ori Kelly that are quite breathtaking. I mean, the hats in particular here are almost otherworldly. It's a very grand film. There isn't a single scene that isn't set in some lush parkland or high-end cruise boat or glittering parlour it'll definitely make you feel like you've been given a tour of how the other half live. What I really admire about Now Voyager, though, is that it doesn't stick to the rulebook when it comes to plot. Far too often you see these movies and they try to tell you that severe psychological trauma, such as that inflicted upon Charlotte by her mother, can be cured with romance. This is a very glossy film, and yet it's very psychologically authentic in that the effects are long-lasting and will probably never be healed. You do feel as though Charlotte isn't just going to be rescued by love. Her scars are there forever. It's the learning to live with them that matters. And make no mistake, this film is definitely a mood of its own. This is a film about repression and depression and shattered souls, and trying to get by on what you have at hand. There was a whole sub-genre that seemed to be very popular at the time, where audiences got to see the very rich coping with their inner turmoil. Leslie Halliwell summed it up best when he said that audiences were watching suffering in mink. Now Voyager is perhaps the best example of that genre, so don't go in expecting wall-to-wall romance and uplifting bluebirds and stuff. I think that's what I like most about it. It's drastically different in that the resolution isn't the one you go in expecting. Love is the cure, yes, technically, but not the love that you're expecting, This is a film that's far more about finding peace through learning to love yourself. Tina becomes almost an avatar of Charlotte, and by doing her best to make this little girl happy, it's almost like Charlotte's getting her chance at making herself happy again. It's a very clever story that's all too often passed off as a romance. If you've seen now Voyager, I don't need to tell you what a classic it is. It's one of the greatest examples of Hollywood gloss and melodrama, tied together by some incredible performances from the main players. There isn't an ounce of fat on the thing, it's just scintillating from start to finish. And so, of course, I have a radio version for you. This is from the Lux Radio Theatre and stars Paul Henreid in his original role opposite the great Ida Lupino in the Davis role with Dame Mae Whitty as her quite appalling mother. Lux does a marvellous job of transferring this to radio, but do check it out in its original movie format if you can, because this is a film that's as sumptuous to look at as it is to listen to. So, all aboard, then, with Ida Lupino, Paul Henreid, and Dame May Whitty for the Lux Radio Theatre's adaptation of Now Voyager. See you afterwards.
4: Lux presents Hollywood.
9: The Lux Radio Theatre brings you Ida Lupino and Paul Henreid in... Now Voyager, with Dame May Whitty and Albert Decker. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille.
0: <laughs> Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Amid all the hustle and bustle of these rough days, has come a love story so fine and moving that it's gone straight to the heart of America. It's Warner Brothers' distinguished motion picture, Now Voyager. Co-starring tonight with Ida Lupino we have one of the most sensational newcomers Hollywood has seen in many a day. He pronounces his name Paul Henry. He and Ida Lupino have just finished the picture Devotion at Warner Brothers. And tonight, you'll also hear two of Hollywood's finest character players, Dame Mae Whitty and Albert Decker. Ida Lupino's part is a challenge to any actress because in Now Voyager, she really plays two women. The girl who lives under the domination of her mother and the woman who learns to meet love on its own terms. I believe this play has a universal appeal, and so apparently does the product behind it, Lux Flakes. Take this letter from a flyer in Egypt. Out here we do our own dobe. That means laundry. Our heating apparatus is a four-gallon gasoline tin cut in half and about four inches of dirt put in the bottom. All you have to do is pour in a little gasoline until the dirt is soaked, toss in a match, Put your water tin on top, and there's your hot water. I was scrubbing away, sitting on a bomb tin, with a wash tin full of Doby, trying to get the stuff clean. And I did it, too. But I bet it was mainly due to what I was using. Lux. Yep, they even have that out here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's the way it's done in Egypt. The stove sounds a little uh, explosive to me. But he's on the right track with Lux Flakes. And we're on the right track with a play like Now Voyager. And here's the curtain for Act One, starring Ida Lupino as Charlotte Vale and Paul Henreid as Jerry Durrance, with Dame May Whitty as Mrs. Vale and Albert Decker as Dr. Jackwood.
4: Untold once, by life and land ne'er granted, now voyager, sail thou forth to seek and find.
10: I heard those words for the first time from Dr. Jackwick in my room at his sanatorium. I knew what he meant. I'd been there three months, and now I was cured. I was well again. But how could he be sure? How could I be sure? I wonder what Dr. Jackwick thought of me the first day we met. The time he came to our house. I remember the way he stood in the drawing room... smiling at me so gently. And I, in my low-heeled shoes and my glasses... Fat and dull and sullen, not trusting myself to speak. And my mother, it was not my mother's idea to bring Dr. Jackworth to see me. My mother believed only in strength, never in weakness. What was it she said that day? Oh, yes, she said, I'm ashamed
11: of you, Charlotte. I'm ashamed of you, Charlotte. It was Lisa's suggestion to bring Dr. Jackworth here, not mine. Your sister says that your recent peculiarities, your fits of crying, indicate that you're on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Is that what you're trying to achieve? Well, Charlotte, has the cat got your tongue? Mother, please. Be quiet, Lisa. Charlotte, Dr. Jackson has a sanatorium in Vermont, I believe. Probably one of those places with a high wire fence and yowling inmates.
4: Mrs. Vale, I wouldn't want anyone to have that mistaken notion. Cascade is just a place in the country. People come there when they're tired.
11: The very word, psychiatry. Charlotte, doesn't it fill you with shame?
4: There's nothing shameful in my work, Mrs. Vale, or frightening or anything else. You see, Miss Charlotte, people walk along a road, and they come to a fork in that road, and they are confused. They don't know which way to take it. I just put up a signpost saying, not that way, this way.
11: Well, Charlotte, would you like Dr. Jackworth to point the way for you? If you should want there. I shall be in my room. Charlotte, come back here at once.
4: Please don't. I'd like to speak to her alone. Excuse me. Oh, Miss Charlotte, will you wait, please?
10: Yes. Dr. Jackman.
4: Miss Charlotte, I wonder if I might ask you a favor. Will you be nice enough to show me around this house? One doesn't often get a chance to view the Vale residence.
10: Very well, Dr. Jackman. Thank you. Here is the room in which I was born. My mother's room. You may look at it if you like.
4: It's a fine room. But I'd rather see your room. I'd rather see what your room is like.
10: I'm not your patient yet,
4: Doctor. Well, now, nobody thinks you ever will be. Of course, if you'd rather not... It's on the floor above.
10: When I was 17, I stayed out once until after midnight. That creaky step hasn't been fixed since. I'm not sure I know what you mean. My mother heard it. This way, Doctor. I keep my door locked. Make a note of it, Doctor. Significant, isn't it?
4: Well, it signifies it's your door. I've never heard it said that a woman's home is not her castle.
10: My castle, Doctor.
4: Well, you're comfortable here, aren't you?
10: Yes, I try to be. I'm here a good part of the time.
4: Hello. What's this over here? A work table? Yes. Ivory carving. Did you make this cigarette box?
10: Why shouldn't I?
4: The point is how you could. I have a real admiration for people who are clever with their hands. I was always clumsy with my own.
10: I would say that you are one of the least clumsy persons I've ever known. You may have one of these boxes if you like.
4: May I, really? Thank you very much.
10: Yes, I'll get you something to wrap it in.
4: Don't bother. Oh, you wouldn't happen to have a cigarette hidden away someplace, would you?
10: Hidden? You think I hide cigarettes in my room, Doctor? No,
4: no, I meant... Where
10: do I hide them, Doctor? On the shelves behind the books? Cigarettes and medicated sherry and novels my mother would never allow me to read.
4: Please, it was only the box that reminded me. How very perceiving you are, Doctor.
10: How very right you are. You see, I was about to hide this album. You really should read it. It wouldn't do for you to have come all the way up here and missed your amusement. Read it, Doctor. The intimate journal of Miss Charlotte Bales since
4: Won't anything convince you that I do not wish to pry? Oh, but you
10: must pry. I insist that you do. Now, here's the record of my last trip abroad with my mother. We were sailing up the coast of Africa. You wouldn't have known me then. I was twenty then, and I was in love.
4: Miss Vale? Oh, don't
10: be embarrassed. I'm not. There's his picture. Isn't he handsome? I'd never met a man like Leslie before. I'd hardly even met a man. Mother saw to that. I had to wear simple, girlish frocks and flat shoes. And my glasses. I was never allowed to take off my glasses. You'll never get another pair of eyes, my mother used to say. Leslie, me. Yes, he did. He wanted to marry me. But you see, he was only the radio officer, and he wasn't good enough for a veil of Boston. He wasn't suitable, my mother said, so she smashed it up. And what man is suitable, Doctor? She's never found one. What man would come along and look at me and say, I want you. I'm fat. My mother disapproves of the polderolls of diet. I wear these shoes. You see, my mother approves of sensible shoes. I am my mother's well-loved daughter. I am her companion. I am her servant. My mother says... My mother, my mother, my mother.
4: Oh, here now. Look up here. You'll never get another pair of eyes, as your mother says, if you spoil them with tears.
10: (laughs) Dr. Jackworth, can you help me? Help you? When you were talking about When you talked about the fork in the road.
4: There are other folks further along the road. So many. You don't need my help. Put away your book and come downstairs. I'll go ahead. It's
11: just as I said, isn't it? Just nonsense. Mrs. Vale? Charlotte's no more ill than than a molting canary. Of course, she's my youngest, you know. The child of my age. My ugly duckling. I suppose it's true that all late children are marked.
4: Often such children are not wanted. That can mark them.
11: Dr. Jackwit... Are you telling me... I
4: have been trying to tell you that your daughter is seriously ill, thanks to you.
11: Thanks to me? If you
4: had deliberately and maliciously planned to destroy your daughter's life, you couldn't have done it more completely.
11: How? By having exercised a mother's rights?
4: A mother's rights. Twaddle. A child has rights to discover her own mistakes, to make her own way, to grow and blossom in her own particular soil.
11: (laughs) Are you getting into botany, Doctor? Are we flowers?
4: I am trying to help your daughter. I suggest a few weeks at Cascade.
10: I spent three months at Cascade. Outwardly, Dr. Jackworth had worked a miracle. I'd lost weight. I was looking better. My hands were steady. Inwardly I didn't know. And then came that morning when Dr. Jackworth told me I could leave.
4: The time has come for you to get out of the nest, Charlotte. Try your own wings. You mean, go home? No. Go out and take a good look at the world on your own. Forget you're a hidebound New Englander. Meet people. Talk to them.
10: But I... I'd be afraid I...
4: Charlotte, the other day I referred to a quotation. Remember? Yes. Said it was from Walt Whitman. That's right. Well, I've had it looked up. He puts into words what I'd like to say to you. And far better than I could ever express it. He says, Untold one, by life and land, ne'er granted. Now, Voyager... Sail thou forth to seek and find.
10: I sailed in a week, a pleasure cruise to South America. On the passenger list, I was René Beauchamp. I stayed in my cabin most of the time. For the campus, I decided to go ashore. As I came down the steps into the tender, I felt people looking at me. They must have known my clothes had been borrowed. You might be able to fool your mirror by wearing lipstick and plucking your eyebrows. But you can't fool other women. They know. At the bottom of the ladder, a man was smiling at me. In a panic, I turned and started back to my stateroom. Excuse me. Yes? What is it?
12: Excuse me, but uh, are you Miss Renée Beauchamp? Yes. Well, my name is Jerry Durrance. Uh, Miss Beauchamp, it seems you have the only only shore carriage left. Uh, The steward suggested that you might be willing to share it with somebody.
10: Well, really, I...
12: I know it's an inconvenience. If it's too much, just say so.
10: No, of course not. If you can stand it, I think I should be able to.
12: Thank you. you like rum drinks?
10: Yes, these are very good.
12: I've enjoyed myself today. Have you? Yes. You know, Miss Beauchamp, you're quite different from what I expected.
10: How am I different?
12: Well, you're so much more comfortable to talk to, Miss Beauchamp, so much... Please
10: listen. I'm not Miss Beauchamp. I beg your pardon? Mary Beauchamp is out in Arizona somewhere. I took her space at the last moment. I... I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Stranger.
12: <laughs> no. You are the stranger. You know who I am.
10: I'm sorry. My name is Vale. If it ever appears on the passenger list, it will be Sea Vale, Boston, Massachusetts.
12: One of the Vales of Boston.
10: One of the lesser ones.
12: Well, which one? Miss or Mrs.?
10: It's aunt. Every family has one, you know.
12: But aunt what?
10: My name is Charlotte Vale. Miss Charlotte Vale. Do you mind if we go? Uh,
12: Miss Vale, I hope I didn't offend you. It's like me to blunder just when I was going to ask you for a favor. I have some shopping to do for my daughters and... Well, I need a woman's help.
10: Why, of course. A spinster aunt is an ideal person to select presents for young girls.
12: Miss Vale, I... I wish I understood you. He
10: wishes he understood me. He
12: wishes. You know, I think we did very well. The jewelry is just right for Beatrice. And the sweater for Tina.
10: How old is Tina?
12: Here. Uh, I have a picture. Uh, this is my hair. All girls.
10: Oh, I see. Who's that missing?
12: Oh, that's uh, Isabel, my wife. The picture isn't very good of her. She'd only looked up and smiled. That's Beatrice next to her.
10: Then that must be Tina sitting cross-legged on the grass.
12: Yes. We hope she won't have to wear glasses all her life. Tina wouldn't smile for me either. She's convinced she's an ugly duckling.
10: Does Tina know she wasn't wanted?
12: There's an odd remark.
10: Yes, I'm sorry. I don't know why I made it.
12: I mean odd because it hits across close to the truth. Even before she was born, her mother said... Never mind her. Here. Here's a slight offering for being my guide today. It's a mixture of uh, several kinds of flowers. It's called Jolie Fleur.
10: Thank you very much. I'll put some on my handkerchief tonight.
12: Will you? Good. Uh, let's meet in the bar for a cocktail before dinner. Hello. Hello. Won't you sit down, Miss Vane? You made a striking impression over there as you stood in the doorway looking for me.
10: Yes, I... Robert, they put on too much lipstick. No, no, not that I
12: notice. But I didn't notice the wrap at once. Oh. What's that? What's what? Something on your app. Why, it's on. A note. <laughs> Somebody must have been playing a joke on you, I guess.
10: Would you unpin it, please? Read it.
12: This cape always makes an impression. I hope it will do the same for you. What does it mean?
10: It means that this cape belongs to Rennie Beauchamp. She lent it to me. Oh, I
12: see. Your wings are borrowed. Well, they suit you just the same. No,
10: they don't. They don't suit me at all. In fact, that's perfectly ridiculous. You're quite right, you know. Someone is playing a joke on me. And it's far funnier than you realize. You aren't going, are you? Yes, if you don't mind. Well, Jerry. Mac and Deb, too. How are you? Hi, Jerry. We're joining our ship. Wonderful. Oh,
12: uh, these are my old friends, Deb McIntyre and Frank. My new friend, Miss Beauchamp.
10: How do you
11: do? How do you do? Is this René Beauchamp? No,
12: no, another one altogether. Uh, This is uh, Camille Beauchamp.
10: Excuse me, please. Good night. Good night. Oh, wait, Miss Beauchamp. Uh, See you later, Deb.
12: Sure. Wait a minute, please, wait. Why did you run out of me?
10: Do you have to introduce me like that.
12: It wasn't up to me to, to let the cat out of the bag. Did I do wrong?
10: Why did you call me Camille?
12: Well, it was the only French name I could think of, besides Fifi.
10: I suppose that's meant to be funny.
12: My wife calls my lighter moments trying to be funny. But I intended a compliment. In that dress, you're rather like a Camille.
11: Yes, likely.
12: You haven't a very high opinion of yourself, have you?
10: No, perhaps this will help you know why. You showed me your album. I really must show you mine. A picture of my family, you (laughs) see?
12: Family is right. (laughs) Who is this, your grandmother? No, my mother. very strong character, I'd say. And these?
10: My brothers and their wives.
12: They're so much older. Uh, Who is the fat lady with the heavy brows and all the hair?
10: Sister Aunt.
12: Oh. And where are you, taking the picture?
10: No. The fat lady with the heavy brows and all the hair. I'm poor Aunt Charlotte. And I've been ill. Yes, I, I've been in the sanatorium for three months, and I'm... I'm not well yet, and I... <laughs> Forgive me.
12: Of course. Feeling better?
10: Yes, much. Thanks to you. Oh, many, many thanks to you.
12: Thanks for what?
10: Oh, I don't know. Sharing my carriage today, walking my legs off sightseeing, helping me feel that there were a few moments. Almost felt alive. Thank you. Thank you. Who? Thank you, Jerry. Good night.
12: Good night. Sleep well.
10: In the next few days, I learned about Jerry Durrance and his life at home.
11: It was his friend Deb who told me. Deb talked a great deal. I think what a woman like Isabel can do to a man like Jerry. It makes me bored. Her martyrdom and her jealousy. She can't have any reason to be jealous. If you mean, does Jerry have flings with other women? No. But mostly, she's jealous of Tina. The child?
0: Yes. The child she never wanted. And so
10: I found out... But he was unhappy too. And then one evening in Rio, our car broke down on the mountainside. He told me that night he'd been an architect once. It was the only work he really loved. His wife had asked him to give it up. We talked all night, Cherry and I. Toward dawn, I lay down beside the fire he had built. When he thought I was sleeping, he leaned over quietly and kissed my cheek. My boat sailed without me. The next night, back at the hotel, we stood on the balcony looking over the harbor.
12: You can rejoin your cruise in Buenos Aires. There's a plane going down there first thing in the morning. And there's another plane going down in five days. You'll get there the same day as your ship. Oh? Do you know anybody in Buenos Aires? No. Seems a shame to rush down there to spend five days alone.
10: You'll be busy here.
12: Oh, my business can wait. And we did start off for a tour.
10: (laughs) Yes, as we started off for somewhere.
12: If I promise to sit at a different table in the dining room and say, Good morning, Miss May. I hope you slept well. So people will hear me and never guess that I'm head over heels in love with you. Would you stay? Don't say no, Camille. Say,
10: I'll see. I'll see. I must go in now.
12: No, no. Not yet. Look at the harbor. Isn't it beautiful? You believe in immortality?
10: I don't know. Do you?
12: I want to believe that there is a chance for such happiness to be carried on somehow. Somewhere.
10: Are you so happy then?
12: Close to it. Getting warmer and warmer, as we used to say as kids. <laughs> Remember?
10: Look out or you'll get burned, we used to say.
12: Are you afraid of getting burned if you get too close to happiness?
10: Oh, mercy, no. I'm immune to happiness, and therefore to burns.
12: You weren't immune last night on the mountain. You
10: call that happiness?
12: Only a small part. There are other kinds. Such as? Having fun together. Getting a kick out of simple little things or out of beauty like this. Sharing confidences we wouldn't share with anybody else in all the world. Charlotte, won't you be honest and tell me that you are happy too? Since that night on the boat when you told me about your illness. I can't get you out of my mind. Nor out of my heart either. If I were free, there would be only one thing I want to do. Proof you're not immune to happiness. Why, darling, you're crying.
10: Oh, Jerry, I'm such a fool. Such an old fool. These are only tears of gratitude. An old maid's gratitude.
12: Don't talk like that.
10: You see, no one ever called me a darling before. Well, there's my plane. Yes. Thanks so much for the flowers, Jerry, and I hate goodbyes, don't you?
12: They don't matter. It's what's gone before.
10: No, it. What can't go on after.
12: But we'll see each other sometime.
10: No, Jerry, we promised. You know, we're both to go home.
12: Will it help you to know that? I'll miss you every moment.
10: So will I, Jerry. So will I. Disprezzo sonore. Disprezzo sonore. Goodbye, darling. Goodbye.
12: Goodbye, Jerry. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
9: In a brief intermission, Mr. DeMille presents Ida Lupino and Paul Henried with Dame May Whitty and Albert Decker in the second act of Now Voyager. Meantime, here's our friend Libby Collins and an old tune to introduce a new showing of wartime clothes she'll tell you about.
6: Thanks, Mr. Kennedy. I wanted the Arkansas Travelers a kind of salute to the star of our clothes show. She's a lovely girl from Lepanto, Arkansas. And she's certainly been doing a lot of traveling. Her name is Bonnie Beth Byler, the maid of cotton for 1943. Bonnie Beth is traveling around the country this spring to show how smart and serviceable cotton clothes can be, how to make them last longer through proper care, and how easy and inexpensive it is to have just the kind we want when we make them ourselves.
9: Oh, so this is a make-it-yourself fashion show.
6: Yes, it's a save by sewing, save save-more-by-luxing show. We call it Luxable Cottons for Active Service. The clothes are really lovely, and every single one of them is luxable. There's a stunning wide-world corduroy suit, a slack suit and smart beige herringbone, some adorable date dresses, and a whole lot of other kinds. They've all been luxed over and over, but they're still fresh and new-looking.
9: Where is the show now, Libby?
6: This week, Bonnie Beth is in Baltimore and Boston. And next week, that's National Cotton Week, she'll be in Brooklyn. After that, she goes to Philadelphia and other important cities. The store where she appears and the time of the show will be announced in the newspapers. I do hope a lot of you will see the show. You can copy any dress in it for ever so little, and ever so easily, too. They're cut from McCall patterns with a printed cutting line, and on each pattern there are hints to help you do a really professional job of dressmaking.
9: And for a hint on care, you'll find it pays in longer wear to stick to new improved Lux Flakes for all your washables. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Act Two of Now Voyager, starring Ida Lupino as Charlotte and Paul Henry as Jerry with Dame May Whitty as Mrs. Vale and Albert Decker as Dr. Jackworth.
10: Early in May, I returned to New York and went at once to see Dr. Jackworth. He was delighted with the change he saw in me, but even he didn't know how much I changed or why. The final test was still to come when I went home to see Mother. I stood there outside her room, my heart beating wildly. In my mind, I kept hearing Dr. Jackwood's words. Just remember that honoring
4: one's parents is still a pretty good idea. You're going to be a shock to her. And I advise you to soften the blow. Give her time to get used to you.
11: Hello, Mother. So, you've decided to come back. You're looking very well, Mother. Lisa told me you'd been ill, but I... Lisa knows nothing about me. Step over there where I can see you. Now, turn around. It's worse than Lisa led me to suppose... Much worse. Well,
10: if you'd like me to go, mother. I... Don't
11: go. I've things to say to you. I've asked a member of the family to dinner tonight at seven thirty.
10: That's very nice of you, Mother.
11: There'll be Lloyd and Rosa, Lisa and June, Mr. Livingston and Uncle Herbert. Do
10: you mean Elliot Livingston?
11: Yes. I shall be wearing my white lace gown tonight. I'd like you to wear your black and white foulard.
10: Oh, but mother, I've lost over twenty five pounds, it won't. There's fit. something
11: else I want to say to you. Now that you've come home to take up your duties as a daughter again, I've dismissed the last nurse. I've become used to having a room occupied on the same floor with me. And in view of my heart, I agree to wise precaution. You will occupy your father's room from now on. I had William move down all your things yesterday. But, Mother, you had no right to move my things. No right in my own house to move what I see fit? Yes, but, Mother... I think if you wear your glasses tonight, you'll be less of a shock to the others. And take off whatever you've got on your face. As to your hair and eyebrows, you can say that often after a severe illness, one loses one's hair. But you're letting yours grow as quickly as possible. Very well, Mother. If you'll
10: excuse me, I think I'll go to my room. I knew then there had been no change in Mother, or in the house, or in me. But that evening, some flowers arrived. His flowers... A tiny box of camellias.
11: Charlotte? Yes, Mother? What are you doing in your old room? I had my things moved back. I'm going to sleep here. Didn't you understand I wished someone to sleep on the same floor with me?
10: We can get one of the maids, Mother. Perhaps Hilda. So
11: long as I pay the bills, I'm running this house. Please remember, you're a guest, Charlotte. Well, if I am one, then please treat me like one, Mother. Your guest prefers to sleep in this room, if you don't mind. This is no time for humor. Where did those flowers come from? From New
10: York. Who sent them? Well, I've forgotten the name of the florist.
11: In other words, you don't intend to tell me.
10: Oh, Mother, I don't want to be disagreeable or unkind. I've come to live with you again here in the same house. It can't be in the same way. I've been living my own life for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child.
11: Where did you get that dress? I bought it in New York today. It's outrageous. Where's the black and white full Well, I gave it to Hilda. She was
10: so grateful. Oh, Mother, please be fair and meet me
11: halfway. They told me before you were born that my recompense for having a late child was the comfort the child would be to me in my old age, especially if she was a girl. And on your first day home after six months' absence, you behave like this.
10: Mother, wait for me. I'll go downstairs
11: with you. Thank you. I prefer to go alone.
10: Mother, please, you know you're not supposed to. Mother! Mother! Dora, come here! She fell. My mother fell. She was not badly hurt, torn ligament in her leg. But it was enough to keep her in bed during the party. I was a great surprise to the family that night, and as they left, one of the guests stayed on to speak to me at the door. Elliot Livingston.
4: Well, Miss Vale.
10: Well, Mr. Livingston?
4: You know, I still can't get over our not having met.
10: Well, as a matter of fact, we have. Once and almost twice.
4: I'm mystified.
10: Well, when we were children, you were the only boy who danced with me at dancing school. And the almost was when you were supposed to usher at my coming out party and didn't show up.
4: <laughs> I'm covered with shame.
10: Well, I shouldn't have told you it wasn't nice.
4: <laughs> well, I, uh, I hope you're going to allow me to make up for my past rudeness. May I telephone you sometime?
10: Of course, anytime. Good night. Good night how is your ankle mother
11: extremely painful oh i'm so sorry i've been doing some thinking as i've been lying here in pain listening to you all having a good time downstairs how much did that dress cost
10: well it was frightfully expensive i'll tell you about it in the
11: morning to whom did you charge it To whom I've always charged my clothes, Mother. And do you expect me to pay for articles charged to me of which I do not approve? Well, I
10: could pay for it myself. Save quite a
11: little money, about
10: $5,000.
11: $5,000 won't last very long. Especially if your monthly allowance were to be discontinued. Oh, I see. Charlotte, I'm willing you should occupy your old room until I dismiss the nurse. That will give you a good chance to think over what I've said. I'm very glad to give a devoted daughter home under my roof and pay all her expenses, but not if she scorned my authority.
10: Well, I could earn my own living, Mother. As a matter of fact, I've often thought about it. I'd make a very good head waitress in a cafe, or I could.
11: Mm. You may think that very funny. But I guess you'd be laughing out of the other side of your face if I did carry out your suggestion.
10: I don't think I would. I'm not afraid, Mother. I'm not afraid. <laughs> Summer, winter, and then spring again. Between Mother and me, there was a sort of armed truce. In her own way, I think she respected me for
11: what she called my stubbornness. And then there was the matter
10: of Elliot Livingston.
11: I haven't you accepted, Elliot? Do you imagine there's a Livingston waiting for you on every corner? Well, I've been waiting to see how you'd feel about it, Mother. You know as well as I do that it makes no difference to you how I feel about it. You always do exactly as you
10: please.
11: <laughs> I think you're pleased. I'm nothing of the kind. I'm only so astonished that you, of all the family, should bring such a feather to the family camp.
10: Well, then if you really do approve, Mother, dear, why...
11: Oh, keep all that soft talk for Elliot.
10: Oh, Mother, there's no one like you. That night I told Elliot I would marry him. Our wedding was set for June. Mother was pleased, and I was too. And then three weeks before the wedding... I saw Jerry again. In a room full of people, I saw him, and it was just as if we'd never been apart.
12: What's the matter, Charlotte?
10: George, I I think I know that man over there. Oh,
12: Jerry Derns. He's been doing a job for me since March. Architect for the medical center. Shall I tell him your name or let him guess?
10: Oh, let him guess.
12: Right, come along. Oh, Jerry, here's someone who thinks she's met you before. Yes? Oh, of course. You do look familiar. Don't tell me your name, George. George, I've got it. Beauchamp, isn't it? Camille Beauchamp. I'm sorry, Jerry, but you're wrong.
10: No, my name is Bale. I met you on a pleasure cruise once.
12: Oh, yes, Miss Vale. I hope you'll forgive me. I'll leave you two alone to make your own peace.
10: George tells me you've been in Boston quite often, Mr. Durrance. And I didn't know.
12: Yes, several times. You look simply glorious.
10: An architect? Oh, Jerry, I could cry with pride.
12: I've wanted horribly to call you up. I've walked by your house on Marlborough Street. Once I almost rang the bell.
10: Jerry, why didn't you? Uh, tell me about Deb and Mac. You introduced me to them on the pleasure cruise, remember?
12: They're all fine.
10: And how is Tina?
12: Well, Tina. We're having quite a bad time with Tina.
10: Tell me about it.
12: I'm afraid we've got to send her away somewhere. The doctor thinks she shouldn't be with her mother. I took her to see Dr. with. It was highly recommended to me by this Camille Beauchamp I mistook you for. Camille. I'm still horribly in love. Jerry. I must see you. May I come to your house tonight? I won't stay but ten minutes. I must talk to you.
10: Yes, I'll be waiting.
12: Hello.
10: Hello, Charlotte. Jerry, why didn't you come? I've been home for hours.
12: I'm sorry. I'm leaving tonight on the midnight. But why,
10: Jerry? Yes, Jerry, but I wanted to
12: tell you. I just wanted to say that I thought he was a fine person. Jerry, where are you now? I've got to see you. Oh, Charlotte, no. I think it's best that we don't.
10: Are you at the station?
12: Goodbye.
10: Jerry. 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 Wait.
12: Charlotte, you shouldn't have come.
10: I had to, Jerry. I wanted to talk to you about Elliot.
12: Why are you marrying him? Are you in love with him?
10: No, not like we are. Not like us. I thought it might grow to be something like it. I thought I was getting over you, Jerry. I didn't think I'd ever see you again. You're not angry with me, are you?
12: No. Only with myself. It was rotten of me to make you care. Then because of some noble sense of duty to leave you to get over it the best you could. And there isn't a thing I can do about it. Isabel depends on me more and more. She's ill and getting worse. And there is Tina. Even if I could chuck everything, I wouldn't let
10: you, Jerry. I knew you were married. Walked right in with my eyes wide open. But you said it would make you happy. And it has.
12: I've got back my work. And that's due to you.
10: Oh, Jerry, I've been hoping you'd say that.
12: I've more understanding for Tina. And even kinder to Isabel. So don't blame yourself.
10: Then don't you... It's different. No, it's not. Shall I tell you what you did to me, Jerry? You made me feel important. You were my first friend. And then when you fell in love with me... I was so proud. And when I came home, I needed something to make me feel proud. And then your camellias arrived and I... I knew you were thinking about me. Oh, darling, I could have walked into a den of lions. As a matter of fact, I did. and The lions didn't hurt me. So please take back what you said.
12: If you can marry that man and have a full and happy life, I will.
10: I'll try, Jerry.
12: I look for you around every corner.
10: Goodbye, darling. Goodbye, darling. I did try. I wanted to marry Elliot. It was no use. We broke it off by mutual consent. And I knew then I would never have a home of my own, or a man of my own,
11: or a child of my own. Why did you break the engagement? Because I don't love him, Mother. Have you no sense of obligation to your family or to me? Here you have the chance to join our name Vale, with one of the finest families of the city and you tell me that you're not in love. You're behaving like a romantic girl of 18.
10: Yes, I don't doubt it.
11: And what do you intend to do with your life? Oh, I don't know. Get a cat and a parrot and live alone in single blessedness. You'd be ashamed to be born and live all your life as Charlotte Vale, Miss Charlotte Vale. You've never done anything to make your mother proud. Nor to make yourself proud, either. Dr. You...
10: Jack would say, tyranny is sometimes an expression of the maternal instinct. If that's a mother's love, I want no part of it. Uh, I didn't want to be born. You didn't want me, either. It's been a calamity on both sides. Uh, uh, oh, mother, mm. mother, let's not quarrel. We've been getting along together so well lately. With a horrid thing to say. Forgive me. Mother! Mother! What's the matter? Dora, she was sitting there, and we quarreled. We quarreled. I did it. I did it.
9: Before Mr. DeMille presents Act Three of Now Voyager, starring Ida Lupino and Paul Henry, with Dame May Whitty and Albert Decker... Here's some inside information for the women in our audience. Some inside of the house information to help you spruce up your home for spring.
10: Did you know that when you wash painted walls, you should use a sponge squeezed almost dry so it won't drip and streak? Make light luxe suds and wash a little at a time. Rinse with clear water and dry with a clean cloth.
9: But stick to gentle luxe flakes for the job. Don't use strong soaps. As a government bulletin says, soaps containing free alkali can be as harmful to paint varnish, lacquer, and linoleum as they are to your skin. There's no harmful alkali in new improved lux. You can safely use it for flat painted walls and woodwork, for washable wallpaper, for cleaning stoves and refrigerators.
10: You can give your furniture a beauty bath too. Dip a soft cloth in lukewarm lux sud, Wring it out and wash the surface of the wood thoroughly. Take a clean cloth and rub with the grain to dry it.
9: Then your furniture will take a beautiful polish.
10: Always Luxe blankets, all your washable woolens, before you spray them and pack them away. Clean things aren't nearly so tempting to moths, you know. Be extra careful not to rub or wring woolens, because rubbing is one of the things that's most apt to shrink them. That and strong soaps and hot water.
9: But you don't have to worry about strong soaps when you're using new, improved Luxe Flakes. It's the mildest, safest Luxe ever made. Its suds are richer, more cleansing, and they're longer lasting suds that do more work. Thrifty to use for every soap and water job you have to do. It's at your dealers now in the same familiar blue box. New, improved Lux Flakes. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille.
0: We'll have a confidential little chat with our stars after the play. Now the curtain's rising for the third act of Now Voyager, starring Ida Lupino and Paul Henry, with Dame May Whitty and Albert Decker. <laughs>
10: I did it. I called with my mother, and it killed her. I couldn't shake off the feeling of guilt. who grew worse and worse until at last I had to get away. I went back to the only refuge I'd ever known back to Cascade. How are you, Miss Vale? Dr. Jack required you were coming. Hello, Trask. I'm tired. Think I could go to my room right away? Of course you can. Come on. How's Jack with? Oh, the same as ever handing out common sense instead of sympathy. Wait a moment. Who is that child, Trask? girl at the table. Christine Durrant. A problem if I ever saw one. Tina Durrant, Jerry's child. She sat alone over a picture puzzle. Her eyes dull and staring behind her glasses. Her plain little face tightened into an expressionless mask. I went and stood beside her chair, but... She turned away from me. Hello. What's the picture supposed to be? I don't know. Well, do you mind if I join you? I'll collect all the pink pieces. I know who you are. You do? You're my new nurse. No, I'm not. You can't fool me, and I know why you've come here. i not sure I don't run away from this place again. Oh, did you run away from here once? You see, I didn't know. What's your name? You know my name. That's why you stood there and stared at me. Oh, that was very rude of me. But you see, you reminded me of somebody. Who? Well, if you must know, myself. Of course, at your age. Christine, your schedule calls for you to spend the evening with the young people next door. They don't want me. Oh, nonsense. Of course they want you. I've got a fine ping-pong game all fixed up for you. Barbara and Betty against you and Bob. But, but, but he's the best player here. And I'll be the worst one. I'll die. Ellis, will die. Now you'll do nothing of the sort. <laughs> oh, please, please, please don't make me. Don't make me. Oh, don't make me. Now, Christine, don't make her talk. But the doctor wants Christine to have exercise in the evening. Well, I'll see that she has some exercise.
6: I'll take my car down to the town
10: and leave it at the garage to be washed. Christine, will go with me.
6: Oh, yes. I'm sorry,
10: Christine, oh, please, but I...
6: let me go with this lady. I'll drink
10: all my cocoa tonight, if you will. For goodness sake, Christine, don't carry on. Go get your coat. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry, Trask. I couldn't help it. Hmm. I thought you were too tired to do anything but just crawl into bed. Well, I suppose Cascade has performed another miracle. Tina's room was next to mine. Late that night, I heard her. She was crying. Tina. <laughs> Tina, <laughs> what's the matter? I <laughs> no, don't be a present. What is it, Tina?
6: Don't leave me. Don't leave me. No,
10: I won't, Tina, you're asleep. Now, come on, tell me what's the matter.
6: I'm ugly and mean and nobody likes
11: me.
10: Tina, you...
11: I'm not pretty in the least. And they hate me. They
13: all
10: hate me. Who are they? Everybody. All the kids at school. And the and the nurses and the doctors. Oh, there must be something awfully wrong with me. Do you like them, Tina? No, I hate them. That's the trouble. If you want people to like you got to like people. I bet you're only fooling me. Well, you try it and see. And in the meantime, if <laughs> it'll help you, anyway. I like you. And I think you're very pretty and very
13: sweet. You do? Really?
10: Really. Oh, come on. Don't cry anymore.
13: Why are you so good to me?
10: Oh, because somebody was good to me once. And I needed somebody. Go to speak to you. Close your eyes. Get your muscles go all limp. There. That's better. Much better. Jerry's child was in my arms. Jerry's child was clinging to me. Jerry's child.
4: I don't believe it. You've done wonders for that child, Charlotte.
10: Dr. Jackworth, I have a proposition to make to you. I want to take care of Tina. Pay attention to her. Make her feel wanted and important. I'd like to take her camping in the woods. You know, she adores camping. Take her home to Boston with me. If she wanted to come, of course.
4: Sounds like a wonderful break for her.
10: Dr. Jackworth, how much do you remember about my trip to South America?
4: Well, you sent some beautiful postcards.
10: No, no, that's not what I mean. About an automobile trip I made, and the man who was with me.
4: I never knew the gentleman's name. You never told me.
10: Well, I better tell you now. It was Tina's father.
4: Tina's father.
10: That alters the situation.
4: Of course it does. I don't know anything about your relationship with Durrance. I don't know how emotionally involved you are with him.
10: Well, I'll tell you everything. It's over. That's it in two words. And Tina needs me. Well, you see, I
4: i never been needed before. Well, I'm crazy. But if you promise to behave yourself... Oh, thank you. But you're only on probation. Remember what it says in the Bible. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away.
10: <laughs> How does it feel to be the Lord? <laughs> Jerry had to be told, of course. And though we never saw him, he sent a message through Tina. He asked her to thank me. And then came the time when we returned to Boston... And the house was filled with young people. There was laughter and fun and... Tina coming down the stairs in a new dress and her hair all curled. And Jerry standing there with his eyes full of love for a little girl. Tina. Daddy. Oh, Daddy.
12: Can this be Tina?
10: Do I look nice? My first party dress.
12: You look lovely.
10: Do you really like me?
12: I love you, darling.
10: Tina. Tina. Don't you think it would be nice to show your father your room and your studio and everything? Would you like to see my room, Daddy?
12: Very much, if Miss Vale will pardon us.
10: How long are you going to call Miss Vale?
12: What should I call her?
10: I don't know. Would it sound too funny if you called her my name for her?
12: What name is that?
10: We decided it on the camping trip.
1: I call her Camille.
12: Camille? I think it would sound very nice indeed. <laughs>
10: Jerry, what are you doing here all alone? Come and join the party.
12: I want to speak to you, Charlotte.
10: Yes? What about Jerry?
12: I've decided to take Tina home.
10: Take her home? Oh, but Jerry, you can't. Dr. Jack would I don't care
12: what he says. No self-respecting man would allow such self-sacrifice as yours to go on indefinitely.
10: Oh, Jerry... That's the most conventional, pious speech I ever heard in my life.
12: I can't go on forever taking, taking, taking from you and and giving nothing, darling. Oh, but,
10: Jerry, you will be giving. You'll be giving me Tina every single day. It's
12: very kind of you to put it that way.
10: Well, then, is it something Tina has said? Don't you think she's happy here?
12: Happy? She told me upstairs she loved you almost as much as she loves me.
10: Well, Jerry, what is the reason? Is it something about us?
12: Of course it's about us. Why didn't you marry Livingston? I tell you why. Because I came along and ruined him for you. And now my child comes along and claims all your attention and takes your whole life when you should be trying to find some man who will make you happy.
10: Some man who will make me happy? Oh, so that's Here I've been laboring under the impression that you and I were so in sympathy, so one, that you'd know without being asked what could make me happy. And you come up here to talk about some man. Jerry, you haven't the slightest conception of what torture it is. To love a man and be shut out. To be always an outsider and an extra. Charlotte. When Tina said she'd come and stay with me. It was like a miracle. Like having my own child. A part of you. I thought you'd understand, Jerry. But evidently you don't. Again, I've been just a sentimental fool. It's a tendency I have.
12: Wait a minute. I was afraid you were keeping Tina out of pity. But there was no pity in your ridicule of me just now. Now I know. You still love me and it won't die what's between us. Do what you will. Ignore it. Neglect it. Starve it. It's stronger than both of us together.
10: Please let me go.
12: Oh, Charlotte.
10: Jerry, listen. Dr. Jackwood knows about us. When he said I could take Tina, he said, You're on probation. Do you know what that means, Jerry? He allowed you to come here as a test. And if I can't stand the test, I'll lose Tina. And we'll lose each other. Darling, please help me.
12: Shall we just have a cigarette on it? Yes, please. May I sometimes come here?
10: Whatever you like, Jerry. It's your home, too. And there are people here who love you.
12: To look at you and Tina... To share with you peace and contentment.
10: Of course. And it won't be for this time only. That is, if you'll help me keep what we have. You could come here often. We could talk about your child. Our child. Thank you.
12: And will you be happy, Charlotte?
10: Oh, Cherry. Don't let's ask for the moon. We have the stars.
2: And that was Ida Lupino, Paul Henreid, and Dame May Whitty in the Lux Radio Theatre's adaptation of *Now Voyager*. Wonderful, wonderful. Just time to find out who the hell that Hollywood legend is, then, Mister Sir.
5: That voice can belong to only one lady in the world, and that is Judy Garland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you.
6: It
2: was Judy Garland. Did you get it? Certain that you did, you clever bunch. There's a bonus edition of Attaboy Clarence coming in the next couple of days featuring Barbara Stanwyck. And there are hundreds more hours of bonus materials available to you right now. All you need to do is go on over to www.patreon.com slash attaboysecret and sign up. Only takes a moment to do it, and you'll have instant access to a whole new world of content. You'll also have full access to October's film festival. Yes, we'll have an entire weekend's worth of movies and company unlocked and ready for you. Just listen on to the end of this show for more details or follow the link in the show notes. Very easy. Until next week then, my friends, thank you for joining me. Take superb care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now.
11: Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.